Hello and welcome to episode three of the Call of Nature. Um, we are a grassroots podcast about nature and wildlife here in the UK. Now, on this episode, we've got a few cool things. Um, first, we've got an interview with Ella Dixon. Uh, Ella works uh, helping to connect people with nature and helping people access nature. She's really cool. Um, then I'm going to tell you a bit about my one of my favourite nature places, um, which is the cemetery at the end of my road and giving you a bit of a guided tour around there. We've also got a, an interview with a super clever guy called Andrew Stringer, um, and he's telling us about uh, rewilding, which is a, a, a concept which is really interesting. There we go. Uh, so Pete, Gareth, um, my co-presenters, um, then you're not my co-presenters, we are the co-presenters. <laughs> we're your backup backs, are we? <laughs> Sorry, mate. Yeah, so... Um, what have you guys seen out there in the world of nature uh, since we last got together to make a podcast? Pete? Well, uh, before I move on to that, Chris, I've got to just take a bit of take care of a bit of housekeeping uh, and remind everybody that the views and opinions expressed during the call of nature are those of whoever expressed them. They don't reflect uh, the views or opinions of any other agencies or organisations. So that's dull, isn't it? <laughs> That's like podcast gold there, Pete. Thank you. <laughs> thanks. Um, <laughs> thanks. Well, why don't right, you tell okay. us, Chris, what, what you've seen lately? Oh, right. Oh, yeah. Okay. Um, well, I mean, this this time of year and this bit of the world is is just brilliant. I live in the southwest of England, um, in Gloucestershire, and it's just brilliant for butterflies. It's like it's been a sunny, hot couple of weeks, and uh, I've seen some some amazing things, some of which I'll tell you about a little bit, a little bit later on. Um up at the cemetery at the end of my road but like a, a particular species the marbled white i think has been like a, a massive highlight they're kind of black and white sort of checkered um uh butterflies but that, I, I just love them they, they're just beautiful things i guess the other highlight for me or maybe it was a low light uh depending on how you sort of look at it um i do moth trapping which um is where you set up a box with a, a light bulb and it catches moths and you can get them out in the morning and look at them. And I've been really hoping to get um, some hawk moths in there, which are like real big, colourful moths. And one morning the other week, I couldn't I couldn't go down in the morning because I had to go to work early. So I asked my wife uh, to go down there. She opened it up. It had been particularly wet and sticky, warm nights, which is great for moth trapping. And she had seven elephant hawk moths in there oh my god which uh yeah if you've not seen them before they're like they're like this crazy mismatch color they're big um they're they're bright fluorescent pink and bright bright fluorescent green all matched together so yeah that was fun for 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 my wife and my daughter looking in there but i didn't get to see them but uh, I'll I'll post a I'll post a picture on our on our social media. Are you sure she wasn't just if I say you got a picture. You sure she was just playing a mean trick on you for making uh, get up in the morning <laughs> to empty your moth trap. Yeah, I did make a get up early in the morning. Maybe she photoshopped him in or something. <laughs> yeah, who knows? What about what about you guys? What about you, Pete? What have you seen? Well, I, I've uh, it's all river based for me. I've I've spent a lot of time walking up and down the canal and the river in the last couple of weeks, and uh, four different spots I've been to. And I've seen kingfishers in all of them, four different kingfishers, one on the canal near Double Locks, uh, one on the River Creedy, uh, zooming past, up and down, uh, calling, and just, oh, that, 
the flash of blue, the electric blue on their backs. One flew straight towards me and just looked like this blue and orange. Just looked so out of place compared to what we generally see in the UK. Uh, and also seen them in a couple of other spots. And I just think the king, there's just something so exciting about seeing kingfishers. Uh, uh, like I say, they're just so different from all the rest of our birds, aren't they? And then the other thing was something I heard. So it was a bit of an animal sound. And uh, again, it was walking along the, the River Creedy near Exeter. And uh, I heard a plop. And it just must have been a water vole. I've seen voles there once before. I, I, you just don't see water voles like you used to years ago. They're such fantastic creatures swimming around in the river. But there was about 10 feet of wildflowers and, and tree and everything between me and the river. And where the bank ended and where the river started was far from clear. So I was kind of inching my way forwards. I didn't want to disturb them either. Getting closer and closer to the river and closer and closer, I thought, to falling in the river. Uh, <laughs> so in the, in the end, I decided I'd make do with, I'd, I'd, I'd be satisfied with just having heard them. And, and I'll go back another day and have a look from the other bank uh, and, and try and spot them without falling in, uh, uh, which is never a good idea, especially when you're on your own, of course. But yeah, very exciting. So, uh, Gareth, what about you? Well, I had quite a, a good week for wildlife spots, actually. But I think if I had to pick one, I, often on the weekend, I'll go and sort of, you know, late at night, sit in the garden and sort of have a look for some nocturnal wildlife. It's like an incredibly therapeutic thing to do. Just sit there, look at the stars, um, you know, see what's coming through your garden. I often get this badger goes past and sort of it looks up at me surprised. But I, basically, I've had these newts I keep seeing little snippets of in my pond. And then you, you, know, you see a head here or just a tiny bit of a tail there. And I've been doing it for sort of months. And I was determined to find out what actual species they were. So it was night time. I went down to the pond really quietly. I could see these two newts. And I've got to say they were quite amorous. So, well, they, they were making the next generation of newts between them quite successfully by the looks of it. Anyway, so they had uh, these big sort of uh, bits of webbing on their hind feet. So I could tell they were palmate newts. So as of always, I want to find out a little bit more. But something, what's the bit of science of this that we can learn from? And I had a little look and I found this really amazing study where they were looking at, you know, what's the impact of newts that live in ponds around sort of natural uh, native oak woodlands versus newts that live in ponds that might be around sort of an exotic tree like a eucalyptus. What they basically found is the chemicals that come out of a, an oak woodland cause the females to sort of make sure they pick the sort of the, the fittest, hunkiest, like strongest looking males to, to reproduce with. But if they're in a females and they've got sort of a non-native exotic species around there, the chemicals sort of take away that judgment call. So it's almost like beer goggles for newts. So the females sort of drop <laughs> the females drop their standards when they've got this sort of non-native leachate. So I guess it depends on what sort of male newt you are. It could be a good thing or a bad thing. I mean, uh, you know, I, I think when I was a teenager, that could have been quite helpful for me. But anyway. <laughs> <laughs> so if you're if you're an ugly newt, you need to go and find a pond where uh, where there's uh, non-native trees around it, and your chances might of scoring might be a little bit higher. That's not quite what the researcher said, but that's what I've read into it. <laughs> extraordinary oh that's great anyway enough about newts i'm really keen to hear this uh chat you had of ella so should we have a listen yeah absolutely so i spoke with ella uh, a good number of weeks ago now so it was right in the middle of full lockdown uh we had a lovely chat here it is hi ella thanks for speaking with us on uh, the call of nature today how are you doing i'm great thanks pete how are you very well, thanks. I'm uh, trying my best to enjoy the lockdown. What about you? 
yeah, I'm um, I'm not too bad where I am actually because um, I'm I'm managing to get out. We've got my mum's dog here because she's an NHS worker um, yes. with her hands full with my brother and other dogs. So uh, we, we've taken care of Rosie, her Labrador puppy, uh, for the short term, which is a nice excuse to get out. And uh, as you know, the weather's been lovely and glorious. Um, so it, it's been okay for me. I'm I'm still working. I've still got a job, and I'm happy and healthy. So I I can't grumble really. So the the specifically the reason we thought it would be good to chat is because of your job, isn't it? Uh, and how that involves people with nature. So what is it that you do, Ella? Um. Well, I uh, I obviously know you through my my time through the RSPB. We used to work together, didn't we, Pete? Um. But since then, uh, well. I went off and, and did a short stint scuba diving in Costa Rica. Um, and then I came back to sunny Bradford for a short time. I got quite lucky, really. I um, I, I fell into my dream job um, within sort of a month or two of coming back from Costa Rica. Um, it's for a disability charity called Open Country. Um, they're a, a reasonably small um, Yorkshire charity. Um, with the headquarters in, in Harrogate in North oh, yes. Yorkshire. Um, and they've been going now for 30 years this year, um, helping people with disabilities to access the countryside. So for the most part, that's taking out disabled adults in, in group environments, doing everything from um, walking, weekday walking, to uh, wheelchair outings, um, tandem cycling with visually impaired adults and um, adventure sports and we do a lot of nature conservation work as well with adults with mental health um, illnesses and uh, learning disabilities so um, it's, a, it's a fantastic charity um, all in all I think we've got about 300 people that we support in, in some people we take out and about um, a few times a week and some people you know just come and see us once a year but I think we've had an impact on all of their lives um, and brought some goodness and, and benefit to their lives. Well, that's that's um, a lovely role yeah. I can really imagine you doing that there's a everybody knows I think don't they that nature is good for you in a rather sort of vague way some in a more precise way but what benefits do you see for, for that group of people that, that you take out? Um, well, well, for some of them, it's it's quite obvious. Um, we've got a couple of um, weekend members, particularly, that really, really love and admire nature and wildlife and animals, um, particularly. And um, they'll express these views. So if we go out to a local nature reserve and um, we've seen a new bird that they've never seen before and learned what that is, then it's you, you can visually see their happiness and their excitement about learning that new bird um, or learning that new bird call or, or whatever it is because um, they'll, they'll express it. And then for, for other people um, who I suppose you, you might not class as, as nature lovers per se, but in the broadest sense of nature, they get some enjoyment out of it. So there's, there's quite a lot of visually impaired um, people that come cycling with us and um we've had some lovely instances where we've been on a nice afternoon ride um along the canal and and you know they've sort of simply thanked me or, or thanked the volunteer that's riding with them um for giving them the opportunity to be out in the countryside 
smelling cow poo and cow dung <laughs> and um <laughs> that's another way they've in, enjoyed nature but just sort of a less obvious way but as you say every everyone um can benefit from being outdoors and and nature um it's just that some groups of people particularly disabled people don't get quite as many opportunities to enjoy it as as me or you so that's where um, my charity and, and my job comes well, in. It's really great to hear that your organisation's doing that. I think uh, uh, I think anyone would benefit from spending more time in nature if they're only doing so a little bit or, or from doing so if they're not doing so at all, wouldn't they? It's inspiring hearing about the work that you do and, and, and it's great to think of people getting more access to nature through organisations like yours. What, what's it called again? It's, it's open country. We're, uh, we're Yorkshire-based, so mainly around West Yorkshire and North Yorkshire. Um, I work around Wakefield, um, mainly at Wakefield District, um, but we'll no doubt be expanding as, as the popularity grows. And we've got lots of directories as well that we've published over the years. So these are free directories and they're available to anyone as, as um, electronic copies um, off the internet, off our website. Um, or you can ask us and, and we can send out paper copies as well also for free. Um, and the directories, unfortunately, just in Northern England at the moment, um, but the directories cover pretty much the whole of Northern England and they help people that might not want to or be able to come out with us in our minivans, um, but they want to get out and learn more about places near them that they can access the countryside and wildlife hotspots or, or different sports groups that operate outside. So the directories are, are about 60, 70 pages. And uh, they have all sorts of different good information to to get people out and about all the, all the good groups and all the good walks you can access with physical disability. That's fantastic, Ella. I'm so impressed and, and I'm sure that listeners will want to access those resources. So thanks for telling us about those. So it's, it's been great catching up with you, Ella. There is one other question I've been burning to ask since I spoke with you last week uh, when we were talking about chatting today. You were, you were out with the dog yeah. and with your partner, weren't you? And you were listening to a woodpecker, which you mentioned before, drumming in the trees. Uh, but you told me that you hadn't managed yeah. to spot it before each time you've heard it. Did you manage to spot it last week? No. Do you know what? I hear it just, I'll go to the same part just about every day, once a day. And I hear it just about every time. Sometimes it's closer and sometimes it's further away. But I can never spot it. I think I get easily distracted by other things. I'm not, a, I'm not a hardcore birder. No, or something. <laughs> um, but I did, I did see it coming out of a, a tree once, and it, I, I can't quite. I'm not quite tall enough to see in, but it looks like it's coming out of like um, a little hole in the tree that could possibly be its nest in sight. So I just need to spend a bit more time there. But uh, that, that's exactly what I mean. There's always something that that grabs your attention out in nature. It doesn't necessarily have to be birds. It's, it's usually birds for us, mm. but you know, it can be whatever. It can be the, the cherry blossom um, being a nice color to take a photo of, or it can be your child getting excited by a slug, but th there is always something out there in the wild for people. Well, I agree, Ella. I feel just the same way. And, and uh, thank you so much for telling us about your work and your experiences. I, I've really enjoyed chatting with you today and I, I hope that you'll get to spot that woodpecker if it chooses to show itself to you again. Thank you. Thank you. 
Well, there you are, folks. And if you're one of those uh, who does live up north and is interested in the uh, directories Ella was talking about, then you can get those from opencountry.org.uk. And they also have a Facebook page with fundraising opportunities. So uh, I would love to direct you along there. Now, lots of people love lurking around in the undergrowth, and Chris is certainly one of them. How's that been going lately, Chris? It's been good. Um, I went out the other day to uh, to make a little uh, a little sort of audio guide of my favourite local nature place, and uh, and here it is. Firstly, apologies for some of the sound quality of these recordings. It was a bit windy, um, and I don't really know how to use my recorder properly. But I'm learning, so hopefully they'll get better as the podcast develops. So Gareth and Pete asked me to share one of my favourite nature places and the place that's most important to me is probably the place that I go to most. It's at the end of my road and it's a cemetery um, which is variously called Bisley Road or Horns Road Cemetery or just Stroud Cemetery. Um, It's managed uh, as an active cemetery um, but also um, as a nature reserve. Um, So it's just stopped raining uh, I'm going to get my uh, coat on and go and have a wander around, and uh, we'll see what um, we we'll see what I find. Okay, so I've just walked up to Stroud Cemetery, uh, which is my favourite nature place, uh, just up the road from me. Um, there's quite a cool picture here um, that shows some of the wildlife that can be found here. There's lots of things flying and buzzing and fluttering around me as well, so. Hopefully I'll get a chance to talk about them as I sort of see them. Um, But here it tells me that um, it's a good place to find uh, green woodpeckers. Um, But also it's a great place for butterflies, particularly this time of year. I'm in June now. Um, And you can see things like marbled whites, um, which look like their name suggests. Orange tips likewise. And lots of blue butterflies as well. that's pretty cool there's there's a couple of things on this on this picture on this um i'm standing by like an information board picture thing that i haven't seen yet here one of which is adders um which are our only uh, venomous snake in this country i think um uh i'd love to see one of those i've seen them elsewhere oh there's a marble bite just flying past me now it's that time of year some crows having some fun up there as well I think they're on the top of this tree next to me so there's some amazing flowers here um, I'm not really an expert on flowers so I downloaded this uh, this app on my phone that seems to have some sort of an internet magic or something that um, that can ID flowers from using the camera on my phone um, and I've just seen uh, there's this flower it's it's bright yellow and has lots of flowers up a, like a, a big sort of central stem yellow flowers um, and I've just looked it up on my thing it's called mullein um, so yeah every day's a school day there's lots of flowers out actually so maybe I'll learn some more you can hear a lot of the grasshoppers and crickets on this bit of grass here
hopefully you'll have been able to hear some of the some of the grasshoppers or crickets. Uh, the way the way they make that noise is um, it's called stridulating or stridulation, um, and they do it by rubbing their legs together. So they have like a ridged bits of leg that they sort of rub together. And that's what makes their that's what makes that sound. So I'm on a grassy bit at the moment. What I'm going to do is just walk into some of the bit of the cemetery where there's more trees. So I can hear there's some birds calling in there. I'll see if I can get some recordings and I might know what they are. I might not. <laughs> so I guess like thinking on it, like one of the reasons I like this place so much is that it's a bit of an escape. And I know that, you know, that's what, for a lot of people who are into wildlife and nature, that's, you know, that's what they get out of it. Um, you know, to intensely focus on something or discover new stuff, you know, it's quite good for you, I think. It's good for your, good for your brain. Uh, you know, I've suffered at times, I still do at times, with, uh, with uh, anxiety and, uh, and depression as well at times. And uh, wildlife and nature and, you know, it's, it's a real, it's really important to me. It's good for me to get out and, and look at this stuff. Uh, yeah, it's quite peaceful. little angry chipping sound is a, a red oh it sounds like he's swearing at me it's their alarm call I think so there's a blackbird singing in the tree just up ahead I'm gonna try and get a bit closer and see if I can still record him without him flying off sound, isn't it? Lots of varied sort of phrases. Such variation in their call. Anyway, I'm going to move on because it's never going to attract a mate with me hanging around underneath. Spoiling the act. But that was cool. So there we go, I've had my daily uh, half hour fix of nature um, at the cemetery. It's really great here. Um, there's something to see, something new to see every time. It's just a nice place to come, you know, relax, uh, not talk to people. <laughs> Although, ironically, that's what I'm doing now. Anyway, uh, that's it. That's my nature place. Hope you enjoyed it. Bye. Well, there we are. Thank you, Chris, for introducing us to some of the above ground uh, residents of your local cemetery. So, Chris, uh, Gareth, would you like to expand upon that and possibly make any corrections? <laughs> How did you guess? No, it's lovely. I, I mean, if you can, if you can go to cemeteries, particularly old ones, they've usually got fantastic wildflowers. You can hear the crickets, like Chris was saying, the grasshoppers, and it's just it's a whole real sound of summer. Um, 
But I did, yeah, slight correction. It's, it's the Mullion rather than the Mullane, I think, which is a sort of very exotic pronunciation. Oh, really? <laughs> oh Chris. Mullion. <laughs> Sorry, nature police out in force. Um, Sorry, mate. <laughs> but it was very nice. Big, big, spiky, not spiky, big, tall, yellow, multi-flowered plant. But yeah, I'd encourage people to use those uh, those plant ID apps because I'm learning a lot and it's quite it's quite fun. Mm. Well, that's fantastic. Now, let's hear from someone who will need no corrections and is also really keen on wild places, but on a bit of a larger scale. We've got Dr. Andrew Stringer talking about rewilding. So, Andrew, thanks for joining us on The Call of Nature. Uh, many thanks for having me. Great. Gareth, te- uh, Gareth tells me that you're involved in reintroductions. Now, that's something I've been hearing a lot about recently. So w- would you start off by telling me what you think about reintroductions, please? Absolutely. And in the UK, it's a really fascinating place. So um, there's this wonderful paper came out in Science a few years ago about biodiversity intactness. So really, how intact is our wildlife in comparison to what it should be, what an intact system looks like, what a historical system looked like? And we came out terribly. So the UK came out 189th out of 213 countries because we've lost so much wildlife in the past. We've just been extremely good at causing local extinctions across the UK mainland. But what that means is that we've got a hell of opportunity now to reintroduce species that were historically lost. So it's a really exciting time in the UK. And we've been doing lots of small things like uh, water voles from where they've been lost and butterflies and the like. But now it seems like the conservation community is starting to get ambitious. So where species can't naturally recolonize by themselves, uh, we can assist that natural recolonization. And it's crucially got to be species that, that we've caused the local extinction of and we know the reason why perhaps they were just a really big cause of conflict or we really liked their fur and we trapped them out um but we can now reintroduce these species and things like pine martins to the south of england which is fantastic or or white-tailed seagull the fourth largest bird of prey in the world can now be seen over the english channel i just think that's absolutely extraordinary and i mean what is better what could be better than reintroducing a species to a place from which it was historically lost. It's just such an immediate change you can make to an ecosystem to restore those natural processes, to restore that living system and put right that historical wrong. I think they get me very excited. That's great, Andrew. I can tell it's lovely to hear your enthusiasm for it. And something Gareth and I were chatting about beforehand, which I believe that, that, that you know something about, is the reintroduction of beavers. And I think that's a really interesting example because I can remember reading on a website ages ago, uh, I think it was a farmer who was worried that one of his fields was likely to become a lake uh, as a result of beavers being reintroduced. And you can understand people having concerns like that, can't you? What would you say in that particular case? Absolutely, no doubt. And there's an awful lot of fear of the unknown because none of us in the UK have lived alongside these species unless we come from overseas where where we ha- where they might have lived alongside them. But ultimately, we've not got that societal knowledge. There's some really interesting examples um, of that lack of societal knowledge, that lack of community knowledge about how to live alongside a species. So I took a holiday to Slovenia uh, recently, fantastic country. And Slovenia has 660 bears, brown bears. It's one of the biggest populations in Europe. Fantastic. Uh, and it's also got wolves and it's got lynx. And you think, well, hang on a sec. OK, this is this is absolutely mind blowing to, for someone coming from the UK. But what about human wildlife conflict? 
And actually there, they're not too bothered about the wolves. They're not too bothered about the lynx. The bears get in the way sometimes, but but they deal with them. But beavers got extirpated, got, uh, got lost from Slovenia because we trapped them out. And they're talking about a, a reintroduction there of beavers. And, it, and, and the fear of the unknown is, is, then, is there again. It's, well, how do we live alongside this animal? But actually, if when you go to places where beavers are common, like Bavaria, we get really robust, well-developed uh, management plans to deal with them, about how people live alongside them. So there's lots of fear of the unknown there, I think. Andrew, one of the things I often hear is about um, people say, well, we're too densely populated, too, there's, there's too many people in Britain. You can get these animals back, or you can have these big mammals where there's fewer people. But I always would point out, for me, the example of the Netherlands, where you do have wolves coming in, you do have some of these bigger animals coming in, and, and they're much more densely populated. I mean, what do you feel about that? Absolutely. I mean, in more densely populated societies, levels of conflict might be higher because we're just a bit more crammed in. But that's not an immediate block. It just means we've not worked out the problem yet. We are the most advanced society that has ever lived on planet Earth. So if we can't deal with beavers, then uh, I don't think we've got much hope for the future. So I would prefer a more optimistic approach where, yes, we have to get involved perhaps more in terms of management or in terms of uh, mitigating those conflicts, but it's not a reason not to go ahead. It's all about balancing those potential costs with the potential benefits, and beavers in particular. I mean, the benefits could be huge for wildlife. So we're in the midst of this biodiversity crisis, and I'm I'm so saddened that someone pointed out to me recently every conservationist that has ever lived in the UK has, has basically failed. Biodiversity is still in decline. So how do we make our careers? good how do we make them successful and reverse that decline and we have to be bold we have to be ambitious and we have to do it with things like beavers which can make huge impacts for watercourse biodiversity they can really real ecosystem engineer keystone species they can restore life to river systems so i think we absolutely need them but we also need to learn how to live alongside them and that's great what this sort of starts to sound a bit like is this term rewilding that we're hearing more and more and you sort of, sort of see in the papers and often it's either alongside like a really positive story or someone who's really scared of it. So can you explain a bit about rewilding to us? Rewilding to me is about restoring natural processes. And that means a lot of different things to a lot of different people. But fundamentally, it's about getting that process back into the system. And I think it's a complete game changer because it really just changed your perspective on things. So Ancient Woodlands, a great example that, that really uh, occupies a lot of my, my mind at the moment and a lot of my time. And, and I've only got a small mind, so the, the hamster goes round, but I'm getting there slowly. Um, it's about ancient woodland. I mean, this is a, a habitat which very slowly colonises adjacent space around it. So the ancient woodland flora, very slow to colonise these new areas. And you look at ancient woodlands, you think, what a fantastic habitat in that place. But ultimately, it is a Victorian, it is a medieval construct. It is, you know, hundreds of years old, but it's not thousands of years old. 7,000 years ago, we lost our land bridge to Europe. But previous to that, you know, we were mostly ice sheet. So that woodland, that ecosystem must have got here at pretty rapid rate after the ice sheet rescinded. And if you look at um, ancient woodland now, you can say, well, hang on a sec. All these species lived in the past along great megafauna, huge uh, elephants and rhinos and big, you know, ox-like beasts and horses and all those plants know what it's like and have evolved to live alongside that. And actually, they rely on that quite a lot and it's now missing. So, for instance, 
ancient woodland plants are terrible seed dispersers. And the reason is because of a lack of that natural process, a lack of, pe- of big ungulates, big beasties moving those seeds across the landscape. So now we can say, well, hang on a sec, we're never going to get elephants back in the UK unless something bizarre happens. Um, what can we do to help put that process back in? Can we use, for instance, domestic livestock in ancient woodland systems to help that flora colonise new areas, colonise the fields around? Can we make ancient woodland, rather than being the rare isolated habitat it is now, can we make it common, which is what ultimately we want to restore biodiversity? So I think it really, really changes the game quite a lot. Uh, The concept of rewilding changes a lot of perspectives. I'm really excited about it, but it's such a controversial term. Uh, I think maybe restore natural processes is a better one who knows that's fascinating andrew and and presumably alongside benefits to wildlife in rewilding and i'm learning about this as we go i've less uh, i've less technical knowledge than you two guys i'm sure but there must be advantages to people in that i should think yeah and i think that's one of the reasons why the word has got such traction is that people have grasped it as a real beacon of hope almost it's it's something that's really gained and got into the zeitgeist and the concept and the idea of rewilding of allowing a patch of land to be controlled by nature rather than to be controlled by humans is very appealing to a lot of people um so i think very much in terms of engaging people with nature and getting people out into the landscape to understand nature more and connect with it more it could be certainly a really interesting tool Sort of wondering, there's a real enthusiasm uh, has been at the moment for people wanting to do something about this sort of biodiversity emergency, as it's being called. I mean, I mean, this sounds amazingly exciting stuff, but what can the average person in the street, what can they do about it? How can they help? Oh, well, I'm going to be slightly controversial. So so lots of people would talk about uh, doing their bit, donating to charity, and that's all important, and volunteering and the like. Yeah, definitely, all important. But fundamentally, the 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 thing we need to change in the UK is land use. So um, a lot of people in the UK are, are of a wealthier demographic, let's say. And I would encourage anyone who could afford it, anyone who can afford a mortgage can afford to do this. They can afford to buy a small plot of land and rewild it. It doesn't have to be big. It could be you know, less than a hectare. Any size of plot of land devoted to wildlife uh, is valuable to that wildlife. So I would say, get rich, buy land, devote it to wildlife. Not an easy sell, but uh, but perhaps slightly different from the from the usual one. <laughs> it's definitely different from the usual one. <laughs> That's great advice, Andrew. It's been a real pleasure speaking with you. I've got a feeling that we'll be angling to speak with you again on the call of nature. But for now, uh, thanks very much. Been an absolute pleasure. Thanks, Andrew. Well, great. So that, that's Andrew's advice then, quite clear. Bring back beavers and buy some land. Uh, well, what do you think about that, Pete? Uh, well, of course, uh, I agree, Gareth. Uh, I love beavers and, and it might be worth saying, folks, maybe you can't afford to buy some land if you can. Great. But it might be worth looking online to see if there's a community land buy going on near you for the same purposes. Yeah. I, I, and I've, I'm sure I've seen like projects around the country where people are crowdfunding in order to buy what land for rewilding um so you know anyone can get involved in that just for a few quid um and really make a, a big difference hopefully yeah there's actually there's a new charity been launched called heal rewilding which are basically buying land that's to be honest absolutely screwed for wildlife but letting it um you know just go back wild again with some low low level intervention so there we are 
So it's really great to think that anyone can really get involved in uh, in rewilding uh, land. Um, but with this podcast, that's another thing that anyone can get involved with. Um, you might have a magic moment that you've experienced. You might have a, a, a creature that you're really excited about and you know lots about and you want to tell other people about. Um, or there might be a place that you that you spend a lot of time at and you want to give us a little guided audio tour or something like that. It could also be that you're really passionate about nature conservation and the environment and you want to have a discussion about the, the predicament that it's in. Um, any of these things, we'd be super happy to hear from you and get you on the show. Now, actually, one last thing. Um, I've got a little curveball for you boys to listen to. Now, this is something uh, that one of our listeners sent in, and uh, it's a sound, and he didn't know what it was. So I'm going to play it to you now, and you can. Uh, 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 I'll be interested to know what you think. Now that was from a listener called Mike, and uh, he asked. Uh, his first suggestion was, "Is it a crazy ghosts kid?" <laughs> I think the answer to that is yes, probably. I was going for baby dragon. <laughs> <laughs> so I've got my thoughts on it, but um, but uh, uh, Gareth, what do you think? It's a tough one, isn't it? I don't think Mike's had a very good voice from him so far. <laughs> um, no, I'm, I'm trying to picture it in my head. <laughs> Pete, what do you think? Well, I've heard owls make weird noises like that. I've heard foxes make weird noises like that. And I've heard yeah. a month jack, which is a small deer, make a really weird noise, but it wasn't like that. So I'm cat- I'm ruling out month Fox jack. is quite a good shout. Well, it wasn't night. And because uh, uh, he, he actually sent a video. Um, ah. But um, it was a night, so you couldn't see anything. And uh, for me, it sounds quite like a tawny owl. Was it a good video? Yeah. I... <laughs> well, there was nothing on it because it was night time. <laughs> um, but uh, yeah, so so I'm, I think I'm right in saying that tawny owls do that classic cartoon, as it's written, you know, twit twoo sound, right? Yes. But actually, that's two tawny owls. And one is the one is the I can't remember which way way round it is, but one is the female and one is the male. One does the twit, and the twoo is like the answer to 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 the to the call. Does that sound familiar? Yes, I also know that young tawny uh, call from the nest to the adults in a spooky way. But whether that was it or not, I'm uh, not qualified to say. Yeah, we're probably yeah. So we're going to go with uh, we're going to go with Tawny Owl, I think. Yes, and uh, and are we inviting a listener who knows exactly what it is to let us know as soon as possible, please? Precisely, because as as much as we are experts, we have our limitations. I think we might just demonstrate it. We've definitely got limitations. <laughs> when it comes to birds, that's where Gareth's knowledge falls down a little bit, doesn't it? A lot. <laughs> <laughs> I always worked out there's enough people, there's enough birders in the world. So I don't need to worry about them. I need to worry about the things that other people aren't interested in. Yeah, that's my excuse. Yeah, thanks for sending that in, Mike. Um, uh, so we're going for Tawny Owl. Um, 
But uh, yeah, if anyone else out there hears any weird stuff or manages to record it on their phone or whatever, uh, send it in and we'll do our best. Okay, so that's it for episode three. Uh, Thanks very much for listening. Thanks for everyone's comments and likes and contributions. Uh, We're getting a few of those coming through now, which is which has been really fun and we've met some really cool people um so do get in touch um if you want to be on the show also um if you like or follow or subscribe um to the call of nature on your uh on your preferred podcast uh format wherever you get it from spotify um, apple Podcasts, wherever that's great um because it will notify you of when the next episode is coming out um we're going to try and get them out every Wednesday, which will get more organised. Every other Wednesday. Every other Wednesday, yeah. Not that organised. Every Wednesday, that would be a bit much. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, the next one, episode four, should be out in a couple of weeks. Uh, uh, and, yeah, we hope you've enjoyed it. Um, thanks for listening. Uh, see you soon. Bye.